sure how old I was when I was given my first Bible. I believe I was seven or eight. And I remember being really excited about getting my first Bible and where was I going to start reading. And so as I looked through the table of contents, what caught my eye but my own name, Daniel, was listed in the table of contents. So what did I do but flip open to the book of Daniel. And so I can remember that the very first story I ever read was the one that we read here this morning, the book of Daniel. It captured my attention then, and I hope it once again captures our attention here today. There are so many things that we can learn from this incredible story. So we pray that God will speak to us through it. So would you bow with me, and let's ask his blessing. Heavenly Father, your word is alive and active. It is not just something that is static from the past. It's not just an ancient history book that has no relevance today other than, than for interest's sake. But Lord, we believe that it is for us today. And so we choose to embrace it as such, that your Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts through it, and that our minds are renewed by its truth. We also recognize, Lord, that it is a guidebook. It is a way for us to live and to set our hearts according to your plan, to set our feet and our actions in accordance with your will for us. And often, Lord, when we come up against something like this, there are things in our lives that are identified as being outside of your plan or outside of your will for us. And by these things, we are convicted. We are challenged. And so, Lord, this morning, whatever way you choose to speak to us through your word, we pray that we would be open to your challenge, to your encouragement, and, Lord, as well, even to your correction. And so, Father, we pray that your work would do its work in us today. Thank you for it. I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. May the words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. share with you a story of an elderly man who was lying on his deathbed. Suddenly, as he was lying at home, at the second story of his home, uh, in his bed, he smelled the delightful aroma of baking coming up the stairs towards him. The smell so invigorated him for just a moment, he, he managed to sit up in bed. Ever so slowly, he decided that he was going to make his way out of bed And down the stairs, one slow step at a time, he made his way into the kitchen. There before him, he couldn't quite believe his eyes and what he saw. Were it not for the pain that he was in, he would have thought that he'd already died and gone to heaven. Because there, spread out before him on the kitchen table, were hundreds upon hundreds of his favorite fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies. Mounded high, almost halfway to the ceiling, his eyes bugged out in his head, and he thought... If this is my final act on earth, it is going to be a good one. And so, with one great final effort, he threw himself towards the table, landing on his knees in a rumpled posture. His lips parted, the wondrous smell of the cookies in his nostrils, seemingly bringing him back to life. The aged and withered hand shakingly reached out towards a cookie at the edge of the table, when suddenly it was smacked. A spatula was in his wife's hand. She stood over him and said, Stay out of those. They're for the funeral. You could say that those are cookies to die for. Well, let me ask you a very important question this morning. If you were given the choice between giving up cookies or dying, which one would you choose? Uh, That's a pretty tough one. 
I, I suspect that if we were honest, most of us here today would say, okay, I could give up cookies rather than die. I think I could do that. And, and though Cookie Monster might disagree, there is life without cookies. However, let me ask you another question. If you were given the choice between giving up your prayer life or dying, which would you choose? Now, this isn't quite so easy, is it? If you had to go without praying or, or to just die, which would you choose? You, you choose to pray and you're killed, or you choose to not pray and you can go on living? Which one would you decide upon? Now, if you chose to go without prayer, can you continue to live? Well, you can in one sense. Physically, you can continue to live. But what about spiritually? Where would you turn to for help and hope and healing if you could not lift your prayers to God in heaven? What would you do if your lifeline to God's throne of grace was suddenly cut off? What would change? Would anything change? So let me ask you, how vital is your prayer life to you? How important is it to your daily life as you go along through life's journey? Do you have a prayer life worth dying for? And today we're going to look at the example of someone who was ready and willing to do just that, a man named Daniel. Now, as we consider the story we just heard a few minutes ago, I am always amazed by Daniel's conviction. But that sort of conviction didn't just develop overnight. It required years of intentional, consistent, and persistent self-discipline and effort to cultivate this. And it all began at a young age. Now, we know that Daniel was just a young man, a teenager, in fact, when he and the Israelites were defeated by the Babylonian army and taken into captivity in Babylon. There, King Nebuchadnezzar took a personal interest in selecting the finest and brightest young Israelite men to be trained and schooled in the language and literature and ways of Babylon. And so after three years, they could then pass the examination and enter the king's service. Of course, we know that Daniel, along with his three friends, were among those who were selected for this special schooling. At this point in Daniel's life, we have to take a moment to stop and consider that his entire life has been turned upside down. Everything that he has known and is familiar with in his upbringing has been completely removed from him in such a way that if we were to stop and consider what that would look like in our lives, our worlds would be rocked. Consider like the people of Africa, who in the 17th and 18th centuries were, were captured and taken as slaves to America and to the British Isles. Imagine if everything that was familiar to you, everything that was home, was snatched from you in an instant, and you're dragged away into a foreign and hostile culture. Just consider for a moment. Your nation, gone. Your town, your house, gone. Your car, your family, your church, gone. Your smartphone, your hairdresser, your Killarney guide, and even your Netflix, gone. All of the comforts and, and things that are familiar about home and your life are gone. Now you're beginning to come to grips with Daniel's situation. Everything was literally gone, stripped away from him, including his identity. 
When they came to Babylon, they took all of the young men, they stripped away their Jewish names, and they gave them names that fit within the Babylonian culture, often associated with the names of their gods. And so Daniel's name was taken away, and he was given the name Belteshazzar. In effect, Daniel ceased to exist. It sounds like just about enough to make anyone give up on God, give up on following his ways, give up on prayer, and just go with the flow. The powerful forces of this new culture around him were so strong. Why not just give up and give in and just try to fit in and make a life for yourself? Because after all, when you stop and think about it, what good had it done following God up until then? What good had Daniel's prayers accomplished? Hadn't absolutely everything been taken from him? Hadn't his his nation been overrun by a hostile force? Hadn't everything been taken away? What good had his faith in God done up until then? No one could perhaps blame Daniel had he left it all behind. Everything was taken away, but one thing. Daniel's faith remained. He chose not to leave his faith behind. He chose to believe that God was still watching over him. When everything else was stripped away, he would still hold on to his faith in God and to living life God's way. And so Daniel chose, very early on, to take a stand. And in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, we read this, that upon entering Nebuchadnezzar's court for the special schooling, he faced his first test. They were given the food from the king's table, which included all sorts of unkosher food, which of course had been dedicated to pagan and false gods. And so, being faced with this decision, in verse 8 we read, Daniel resolved not to defile himself by eating the royal food and wine. Now, this verse doesn't specifically mention Daniel praying, but from the pattern of prayer that we are shown later on, where Daniel would pray three times a day, at least morning, noon, and night, he would would hit the pause button, set everything else aside, he would get on his knees facing Jerusalem, and he would pray. And so I think it's quite safe in assuming that when faced with this decision, Daniel also prayed. And in his time of prayer, he found the strength from God, the conviction to not defile himself by eating unkosher foods. And so out of those prayers, Daniel approaches the prince who's in charge of them, and he makes a request that's actually quite dangerous. He doesn't know what this is going to cost him. In a hostile culture, it could have even cost him his life. And so he takes a huge risk by requesting that he and his three friends be given kosher food to eat. And guess what? God helped him. Daniel made the choice within himself to honor God, and God helped him. Verse 9 says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy towards Daniel. And the chapter goes on to show how everything works out. And it concludes with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only being found healthier, but also ten times wiser than all of the wisest men in all of Babylon. Here we discover a a biblical principle that we can apply to all of life. When you choose to live life God's way, No matter what, no matter the risk, no matter the cost, when you choose to live life God's way, God will always help you. When you choose to honor God with your life, God will honor your life 
with his unfailing presence and his blessing. But what about us? Did you know that we too live in a version of Babylon today? Perhaps not quite like Daniel's. Sure, we haven't had everything taken away from us. But like Daniel, we live in a time and a place where the culture around us has grown increasingly hostile towards God, towards the things of God, towards the ways of God, and even towards the people of God. We live in a culture that is putting ever-increasing pressure upon those who would follow the Christian life and God's way to assimilate, to give in to the ways of the world. And so, like Daniel, we face similar choices. The only difference being, Daniel was faced with immediate choices, drastic change. Ours, however, are subtle and gradual. There's the old saying about how do you boil a frog alive? You've probably heard this one before. Well, if you take a frog and you throw it on top of a boiling pot of water, it's going to do everything in its power to jump out of that boiling pot. The sudden change is going to shock it and it's going to try to escape. However, if you put that same frog in a pot of water that's just regular room temperature and then gradually heat up that water, what happens? It gets used to it. And as the water increases to a boil, the frog will stay put, content to be boiled alive. The effect is much the same upon us as Christians today. We are in a climate that the temperature is increasing, but we're just getting used to it in degrees. And so if we're content to just go with the flow and not take a stand, to get out of this, out of this influence, we too will end up being boiled alive. Our culture is putting all sorts of pressure upon us in many ways. It's telling us all sorts of things to just go along with. It'll say things like, if it feels good, do it. Don't worry about the consequences. Our culture says murdering unborn babies is a woman's right. Forget about the child's right to live. Our culture says pornographic images is just harmless fun. A little skin or a lot, it's no big deal. A little nudity in a movie here, a little there, no big deal. Our culture says the homosexual life is just love. It should be accepted and celebrated in marriage as any other kind. Forget the fact that God's ordained plan for marriage, which has stood for thousands of years, is solely between one man and one woman committed to each other for life. Forget about that. Our culture says sex outside of marriage is normal. No commitment required. Our culture says live together. See if you'll be compatible. Take it for a test drive before you buy it. And on and on it goes. Our culture is influencing us, putting us in this vice of pressure. And increasingly, we say, you know what? Yeah, that's not so bad. We can give in here and give in there. Did you know that Babylon's culture embraced all of these things and much, much more? And though they flourished for a season, in the end, I want you to listen to what God said to Babylon through the prophet Isaiah. If you want to turn there, you can look this up. It's an incredible and very specific prophecy in Isaiah chapter 13 and verses 19 to 20. I'm just cherry-picking this verse because it draws out what God said to Babylon and then what happened. God said through Isaiah, Babylon is the most beautiful of all kingdoms. The most beautiful of all kingdoms. We would say Canada is a pretty beautiful place, wouldn't we? And God said of them, and the Babylonians are very proud of it. I'm proud to be a Canadian, right? 
We even have a song about that. And the Babylonians are very proud of it. But God will destroy it like Sodom and Gomorrah. No one will ever live there or settle there again. And Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled to the letter. And today Babylon Babylon is still desolate ruins. In times of peace, tourists can go see the partially rebuilt ruins that have remained empty for over 2,000 years. The memory of Babylon has all but been forgotten. But in stark contrast, the story of Daniel's faith and courage to stand against Babylon, to stand against its power and influence, has been retold countless times and again today. So 100 years from now, how will your story be remembered? Will your story, like Daniel's, stand out above the culture around you? Or will the story simply be another byline in the culture that is headed away from God? Will you be in Babylon but not of Babylon, or will you give in? Or like Daniel, will you resolve today to obey God and live life his way? James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify yourselves, you double-minded. You see, in order to draw near to God, you have to purpose within yourself to do so. You have to make a clear and conscious decision. Because if you don't, the influence and pressure around you will decide for you. Let me tell you something that I believe to be true. I believe that no one has ever accidentally drifted into becoming a powerful man or woman of God. I don't believe that's ever happened by accident. I don't believe anyone's ever just casually gone through life and ended up as a person of strong faith and conviction. Plenty of people, on the other hand, have gone the opposite way. Plenty of people have drifted away from the faith, drifted away from a place of sure and strong conviction. You see, drawing near to God always begins with a clear-cut decision to be done with sin, to leave Babylon behind. And though we must live in Babylon for a season, as Daniel did, we don't need to be of Babylon. We can be God's people, even in a hostile land. Even with increasing pressure around us, like Daniel, we can decide, we can resolve within ourselves to draw near to God and know that God will draw near to us. His help is insured. This takes intentionality. Now let me ask you a question. Does plopping down on the couch and watching whatever's on TV take much self-discipline, much effort on your part? Or does it just come kind of easily, kind of naturally? That's how I've discovered it. Plopping down on the couch and grabbing the remote is the easiest thing to do in the world. But on the other hand, how much effort does it take to sit down and open your Bible? Does that just come naturally just like that? Just as easily as plopping down in your easy chair and picking up the remote control? In my experience, it doesn't. It takes a lot more self-discipline to say, you know what, I'm leaving the remote over there, and I'm picking up my Bible, and I'm going to read, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to pray. That takes intentional discipline. Sleeping in in the morning, same thing. On my, in my life, as far as sleeping in goes, well, that's just normal. That's just easy. That's just going with the flow. But for me to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray and read my Bible, that takes intentionality. That takes discipline. Something that I am always, always working on. 
And I have to resolve it within myself to say, I'm going to get up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God's face as I begin my day. Now, resolving within ourselves, just like Daniel, it takes intentionality. Once we've done that, however, is inner resolve enough? Is my own willpower enough to carry me through on this decision? No, I don't believe that it is. I believe that we need something more. We need the power to follow through. Now, some of you might be thinking, I have resolved to be done with that one sin in my life a hundred times. I have resolved to read my Bible every day a thousand times, but I just can't stick to it. That's because we need a strength greater than ourselves to help us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Philippians 2, 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He gives us the desire and the power. So here's how you can know if God is working in you. Ask yourself, do I have the desire to live a life that pleases him? If you can honestly answer yes, then you can know that that's him at work within you. And so if he's truly at work within you, then believe that he will also give you the power that you need to follow through and to live a life that is truly pleasing to him. Here we see both at work in Daniel's life. He desires to please God, he believes that God will help him, and God gives him the power to not back down. And so in Daniel chapter 6, we see that Daniel is still one of the leaders in the kingdom many years later. And now there's been upheaval in the empire. There's a new ruler in charge, King Darius of the Medes and the Persians. However, even in this transition of power, Daniel is so impressive that King Darius places him in charge over the entire kingdom and over all of the other rulers underneath him. Well, no surprise, some of the other rulers aren't very happy about this. They don't want a foreigner, Daniel, being put in charge over them. And so in verse 4, we read that they wanted to find grounds to charge him. They examined his life, but they couldn't find anything. There was nothing big enough that they could pin on him that could oust him. This says a lot about Daniel because we can see the character of his life based upon his faith in God. And so they decide that they're going to hatch a devious scheme and they're going to use Daniel's strength against him. They're going to trap him with his own prayer life. And in verses 6 to 7, we see that the administrators and leaders went as a group to the king and had him issue a decree that if anyone prayed to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to King Darius, they should be... Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Right? Let's make it as big and bad as possible. Let's really scare people. It's not just execution. The lion's den. You're going to be ripped apart. You're going to be eaten alive. Let's make it as scary as possible. And so they set this plan into motion. The king loves it. His pride, his ego is puffed up. Yes, have everyone pray to me. And he signs it and seals it with an irreversible Uh, an irreversible law that for the next 30 days no one could pray to any god except him. And so, here Daniel is facing a dilemma. What would he do? Well, if he had James chapter 5, which we know he didn't because that was written a long time later, but if he had James chapter 5 verse 13, if you're in trouble, we have some great advice. It says, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Great idea, right? Only problem is, prayer is the issue. And just recently in our Bible study group, it struck me again 
that Daniel could have justified in his mind, he could have rationalized by saying, I could pray in secret. I could just pray in my own head in my closet and no one would know. So why didn't he? Why didn't he? Why didn't he just hide away? Why did he put himself at risk? Because Daniel knew where his help came from. He knew who was in charge of his life, who had the final say, and that if he hid away, in effect, he would still be giving in to Babylon. He would still be saying, your pressure is intimidating me. I'm going to hide my faith and my conviction away. And he knew that by doing so, his enemies would win. And so he resolves once again. We don't see that word, but I think we can insert it to say Daniel resolved not to back down. Daniel resolved within himself that he would go on just as before because he knew the reality of God's presence and power in his life. And so lion chow or no lion chow, he was not going to stop praying exactly the same way as he had done before. And verse 10 tells us this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That, my friends, is courage, but that is also something more than courage. That is complete conviction that God is greater than our greatest trial. Corrie ten Boom was at the Nazi death camp at Ravensbrück, where roll call came at 4.30 a.m. every morning. Most mornings were cold, and sometimes the women would be forced to stand without moving for hours in the bone-chilling pre-dawn darkness. Nearby were the punishment barracks, where day after day and far into the night could could be heard the sounds of cruelty, blows landing in regular rhythm and screams keeping pace. But Corey and her sister Betsy had a secret, They had a Bible that they had hidden away. And at every opportunity, they would gather the women together like the orphans around a blazing fire, and they would read Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Corey later said, I would look about us as Betsy would read, watching the light glow from face to face, more than conquerors. It was not a wish, it was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it minute by minute in an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Life at Ravensbrook took place on two separate levels. One, the observable, external life, growing more horrible with each passing day. But the other life, the life we lived with God, and in his spirit, grew daily, better, stronger, more vibrant, truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Do you know that even in the midst of the worst of circumstances, the most horrible situation that life could possibly conceive or imagine, the presence of God can calm a heart that is shaken by the evils on the outside. Daniel knew this, and I believe that we can know it too. Someone once said that Daniel would rather spend the night with the lions than to miss a day with God. I love that. He would rather spend a night with the lions than to miss a day with God. Let me ask you, what keeps you from spending a day with God? What stands in the way? What comes between you and your father? 
You know, we let TV, sleep, people, pack schedules and distractions of all kinds stop us to come in between. Sin of all kinds can creep into our lives and we become, we become diluted as Babylon creeps in. And our father somehow seems distant and not as important as he once did. And all of these things can come around us. And, and at that point, becoming lion chow for our prayer life would be no contest. Of course we'd stop praying. Who of us here today would be so bold as to say that we wouldn't stop publicly praying under the same threat? But not Daniel. Daniel had discovered the key to living the victorious life, and it happened three times a day on his knees. There's a great proverb or a true story that comes from early missionaries to Africa who shared how the converts to Christianity there were so earnest and regular in their private devotions and prayer that each one had a separate spot in the thicket where he would pour out his heart to God. And over time, the paths to these special spots would become well-worn. And as a result, if one of these new believers began to neglect prayer, it would soon become apparent to others by the condition of their trail. And they would kindly hold each other accountable by saying, Brother, the grass grows on your path. Is the grass growing on your path? Is it well-worn, or is it becoming overgrown? Are you praying about the situations, challenges, and people in your life? Are you daily thanking God for his presence, his provisions, and his blessing? If not, chances are... Your life has anxieties, worries, stresses that are mounding up. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 gives the antidote. It's simple. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I believe that even in the moment of being tossed into that den, God was guarding Daniel's heart. You know, we picture Daniel getting thrown in, struggling, saying, no, don't throw me in. And I think in that moment, he was at complete peace. I think God enshrouded him with his presence, that in that moment, he had no fear. God was guarding his heart and his mind because he had sought God out in prayer above all else. Are you seeking God out in prayer above all else? My friends, this is the key to the victorious life. And so if you want to unleash God's power in your own life, as Daniel, to break free from Babylon's grip, to live a life of power, one that we remembered long after this culture is gone and finished and judged, begin by getting on your knees in prayer, early and often, resolve within yourself that you are going to seek God's face, draw near to him, and God's promise is he will draw near to you. He will help you. He will give you the power to overcome. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your promise. We thank you so much for your word, that it is you. It is you who works within us. This is not from ourselves. It is your gift, an amazing gift of grace that you, O oh God, would come and dwell within us by your Son and your Spirit, the Lord Jesus by his sacrifice for us, we come before you, cleansed, forgiven. And now, by the power of your Spirit, we can live lives that are pleasing to you, free from sin, free from the, the trappings of Babylon, and we can overcome, even as Daniel did. 
And so, God, if you have placed the desire within us, we now ask, would you grant us the power, O Lord, to resolve this day, to seek your face early and often, and to live within your presence each moment of our lives, for your glory's sake. And Lord, if there's someone here today who is facing a tough decision, knowing that Babylon is is pushing in on them, and they've compromised, oh Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, would you speak to them and help them to see that to live life your way, to choose your way, even if it seems hard right now, is the best way. And you will come alongside them. You will help them. And you will show them a way forward. And so, Father, we pray that you would bless this church. Oh God, that we wouldn't compromise, but that we would day by day be steadfast in your word and to live according to it. Help us, oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.